everybody, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakulski. We have part two with Dr. Scott Stevenson coming at you right now. I don't need to give you guys any more information because hopefully you've already listened to part one. If you haven't, go do that now because part one is the prelude to this. Uh, in this podcast, we're going to get into such things as doing your own contest prep, the biggest mistakes people are making in contest prep, and especially transitioning from an off-season diet into a pre-contest diet. We talk about a ton of research around muscle building, what you guys want to start to understand around these different systems that the body is uh, trying to be trying to respond to when you train. Uh, really, really interesting conversation and a little bit of a conversation about how our views may be oppositional. Uh, but when in reality, you just look at it as there are different times, different parts of the training continuum when things should be applied. Uh, I hope you love this podcast with Dr. Scott and myself. And if you do, um, leave us a review. Enjoy the show with Dr. Scott Stevenson. One thing I wanted to definitely discuss with you is, you know, my focus. Everyone is probably aware of my myopic focus sometimes <laughs> on execution when I train. Right, right. And it doesn't, and this, this is may sound wrong, but it doesn't seem like when you're training other clients, you're as focused on it as I am. You're more focused on the the sets and the reps and the manipulation of the stimulus. Yeah. Just talk to me about that. Like, um, how much are you controlling that with clients? How much are you trying to influence it? Is it just like, hey, do your best to focus on this muscle? Or are you actually doing some manipulation of uh, technique and execution? You've got more people you see in person than I do. I'm doing a lot of like online stuff. So, right. but even online yeah. stuff, like that's why I created the video libraries, right? I'm like, yeah. here, go look at this stuff. Cause, right. you know, my, my belief is that, you, you know, most people, if not all, have leave so much muscle on the table. And, and uh, feel free to correct me if you no, feel like I'm wrong with or, or Leave so much muscle on the table because they're because of misdirected tension, right? As we talked about, you, you, you sever the flexus hallucis longus and, and you, you put it in some different place and just redirecting tension now that muscle can grow. Right. So my belief is if we can teach your body to direct tension with proper form, whatever what I quote unquote call proper form right um which is just directed tension based on you know manipulating your predisposed mechanics mm -hmm. to, to elicit a response from different muscles if people leave so much muscle on the table yeah. uh, and hopefully like, my belief is prevent injuries yeah i i you know i've 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 switched to i've got a now a talk on mind muscle connection I actually just wrote an article that came out online on that idea um and I'm, be, I'm beginning to realize that I first, actually it's funny, the, the whole idea of the pump sets, um, the way I put them together, it was sort of born from that idea and it came, I, I learned things the hard way. <laughs> Sounds like you do sometimes too. Oh, of course, we it, have ca to. it came from injuries. Yep. Um, and I had, uh, I think the first time, it's happened various times, I kinda, kinda need the same lesson over and over again, but I think I had like a little partial like tweak of my triceps. So I didn't train any, I couldn't do presses. I was having to uh, do all isolation work for delts and pecs and those sort of things. I stayed mm -hmm. completely away from triceps. And when I added them back in, didn't lose a lot of muscle mass, you know, just because I was staying active. I could still move my arm around. I wasn't casting like that. I started doing very high rep sets and I was being super duper careful not to be sloppy. I was really focused on the muscle. I was basically employing a really, really strict mind-muscle connection type of form because I didn't want to tear my triceps from the bone. I didn't want to have a big gaping hole in my triceps. And I found that my triceps started to grow really, really well. Mm -hmm. This was actually, this was part of the, um, sort of the evolution of fortitude training, literally. And so that's why I have the pump sets in the program, specifically is because, um, so people can do that. 
they can develop that in mind, pick the exercises that lend them well, lend themselves best to that. Same thing goes for the, um, the cluster sets. In fact, all the exercises are chosen for the person based on what works best for them. But, um, so I absolutely utterly believe that. And I, what I found then is that when you do this sort of daily undulating periodization where you, it's the hardest thing to do. It was very hard for me, especially to get out of that like widowmaker perspective and keep those reps continuous because mm -hmm. you want to stop. Um, but when I started doing the pump sets that way, then you start to recognize like when you're doing the loading sets, which are like, okay, get in there, get adrenalized, you know, get the red eyes going. You're going to just scream and yell and go bonkers. Then you start realizing how sloppy you can get. And then you're like, okay, now, cause you just, you've done something totally different. It's a completely different mindset. And then that mind muscle connection mindset then carries over. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think you're right. There's a, there's, I, I'll admit one of the things that I can't do or I don't do as much as I probably should with online clients is focus on that because it's so hard to do online. Mm -hmm. um, what I've done, like I've had a client, I just literally did this with a couple of days ago because she's very, very focused on the mind muscle connection. Um, and I do that with some of my Instagram um, videos as I yeah. pick exercises that seem to, that they're new and novel and they allow people to connect in that way. And I think once you have that experience, then you start to recognize, like, okay, gosh, now I know what a really good exercise for my pecs is supposed to feel like. Right. When I go back and try to do these barbell incline presses, these don't work at all for me. This is a waste of time. <laughs> right. You know, or at least I need to do them somehow differently. Right. Um, but, uh, so and, I'm almost like opposed to the term mind muscle connection. I know okay. everybody oh, uses yeah, it. Sure, sure. But I'm opposed to it because it's not just like I want to think about this and therefore it will happen, right? <laughs> like I want to get that because that, that's what people hear when they hear that. So yeah. I know what you mean when you say mind muscle connection. Right, but right. when the average person says mind muscle connection, I have a good mind muscle connection. Yeah. They, they basically are like, oh, I'm thinking about the muscle, therefore it's working more. And that's way too subjective to me. Like yeah. I need to be way more objective in what's happening here. Uh -huh. Like I need to make sure that mechanically the muscle is doing what it's meant to do and the resistance is appropriately matching with the with the mechanics of that muscle are right so right. i want to make sure that loading the strength curves that here yeah and, and just like making sure that it, it's appropriately in line with mm. the the resistant the line of force is in line with the with the line of pull of the muscle right 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 so that's what i'm focused on it's like am yes. i directly challenging this thing rather than you know this kind of loss of force that happens somewhere in right. the middle of the set like oh that kind of contracted there but it didn't really contract there well right. you see what i'm saying so how yes. do i make sure that I don't lose tension in any any increments, any millimeters during this set. That's right. my focus. And then and only then do I think ramping up intensity, effort, volume, and load makes sense. Yeah. You know, and that's where, I mean, that's kind of where I cut my teeth, right? I'm like, this is, this because for so long, like you, I think, I was just, I want to work hard. You know, right. I, I've kind of, my badge of honor was I want to be the hardest working right. guy in the gym. Right. And you're like, man, shit hurts. And I didn't build as much muscle as I thought. And it was a little bit like not always as balanced as I'd like it to be. Right. And now I feel like I'm completely in control to be able to build anything on any human because it's just a matter of looking at the muscle going, well, this is what it does on you. Right. And then we line up the resistance to make sure it's targeting that part of the muscle. And yes. then and then we go to like the fortitude manipulation of of you know neurological stimulus, musculoskeletal metabolic stimulus. Right. Uh, right. But I, I love for, like the reason I want to have this conversation is because yes. I want you to poke holes at it. Because the only way I get better is if I get someone like you go, that's not right. Yeah, I think. Um, well, you have a, a deep anatomical understanding, like human anatomy. But it's so much more simple than it. Uh, that's where I'm going. Actually, yeah. yeah. It's like it's like you don't need to like no, okay, give me like name, name the muscles of the body and t tell me the origin, insertion, action. Or doesn't matter. Part. It doesn't matter. Yeah. If 
but and it's thing it's it's an interesting thing that so many people are and I and I use this term kind of um, facetiously they're motor morons. Yep. You know, yeah, you yeah, know right. yeah, like, like yeah. they're doing a knee extension. You say, so what muscle are you working? They're like, how am I supposed to know? But it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. That, that's kind of what I get to is I I try not to teach like anatomy and and like I, I'm not doing that. I'm like, hey, I just want people to teach you know, to understand concepts. Mm -hmm. Like the simplest concept that I can teach someone that they get value in is. I say this repetitively, and I sound like a broken record, but every muscle has two ends, right? It has right. an origin insertion. Yeah. If both ends are moving, how much tension is being lost in that muscle, right? Mm. So in order for me to create maximum tension, one end needs to be anchored. So go yeah. ahead and create an anchor on this end, on your origin end of the muscle, which is always closer to the insertion, right? right. Or sorry, closer to the origin. And the insertion moves. And if we say that to people, they're like... Oh, I can do that. Right. And that, then it goes down the path of how do I create maximum stability at the, the three hubs of stability, right? The core, the, 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 the scapula and shoulder girdle, the trunk and spine and the pelvis. And if right. you can create maximum stability at that end, it allows you to have greater, greater output at the opposite end, right? Yeah. So that's like, I'm like, if I can get that across to people, I think we can we can build a tremendous so, so, amount of muscle. Well, you want to poke holes? Yeah, yeah do it. I'll, I'll, I'll do throw it. this at you because this is the one, the one thing that's really interesting. So we want the idea of that, of course, is to, is to optimize force during the course of a repetition. Yep. Um, so it makes sense. Like you're holding you're holding one end unstable, and the other end is moving, and you basically are eliminating all the other variables. Mm -hmm. Is that yep. is that like? So the interesting thing about about that, and it makes total sense biomechanically. But we also have a force velocity curve yes. for skeletal muscle. And this is the thing. Yeah, yeah this, I want, you, this, I want this, you to talk to me about yeah, that. Yeah, this is the can of worms. It's really interesting like that um, you can look at someone like Ronnie Coleman is the penultimate example. We may have talked about this before. He's the penultimate example. But like, he was so sloppy. And, of course, he's very broken down now. So sure. not going to use him as like the ideal way to train. But one of the things you could, you could watch, even like when he do like those T-bar rows in the corner, which were pretty sloppy. Those really were. But one of the things that probably he was he was evoking or invoking, so to speak, in doing them that way is taking advantage of this force velocity curve in skeletal muscle. And we'd I'd almost have to draw it, but I can sort of explain it in a simplified fashion. And it's basically that when a muscle is shortening, it's not as strong as when it's lengthening. Right. You can lower a much heavier load than what you can lift. Sure. In fact, like in these muscle damage studies, you'll take people's, you can take more than their one rep max, more than they can actually lift, and you can have them lower that 15 or 20 times. It'll create tremendous muscle damage. Um, and there's actually much more force per unit muscle produced when the muscle's lengthening. So if you're thinking about a rep where you're shortening and lengthening, shortening and lengthening, and think about like where you fail on a rep, Unless it's, and this is a really good way to see whether it's your nervous system or your psychology, is like if you fail when you're lowering, either you probably hurt yourself, the muscle tore, or you've just given up because you're so much stronger on an eccentric or a negative contraction than on a concentric. It's, it's when you're trying to lift that weight back up that you, that you fail. That's where you're weakest. So one of the things, and this this is this is just this is just for the kind of the sake of kind of the cool expo, cool mm -hmm. uh, exploration here, is that cheat reps actually make sense from a muscle physiology perspective. And there was a line of machines like just, Fitness had. just to capitalize on that force velocity, like trying to get into the right, short range. Right, right. So if you like, and, and I'll just I'll talk about these Life Fitness machines, which which basically made use of this. They they they're gone now. There was a they had them at that. Um, I talked about the the Gold's Gym back in, in Tucson yeah. I used to yep. go to. 
And basically, you you would you could think you could program it. Um, it's some limitations. It only lets you do like 15 reps per set or something like that. It would just stop. But you could program it. I think to add an extra 20 percent on the on the eccentric. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that matches human physiology. That matches the. Is the that one of the ones where the, where the resistance tilted? Uh, there, no. There's a there's a line that I know that uh, on the concentric the. Um, oh, the, that would work too. Yeah, change the line of gravity. Yeah, exactly. That would do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, of course. So on these, like literally, it was it was um, motor driven. Yeah. So like you do a knee extension and you'd push up, and when you got and it, would, I think it measured your range of motion the very first rep, so kind of figured out how to do it. You'd push up and let's say it gave you 100 pounds on the way up, and when you start to come back down, it give you 120. 120. Yeah. Yeah, and so your reps would go that way. And so it actually loaded the muscle relative to its strength. Did it decrease every rep? Um, I think actually what it did, this is for safety reasons, is that you would put your number in, um, and like the first two or three reps, it would kind of incrementally move you up to that number, and then you'd do like 10 reps, and then maybe you would stop. I can't remember um, exactly hmm. how it set it up. I wish they still had them. They were I used them whenever I could. They got rid of them because no one knew how to. They're too complex. Sure, sure. They, they like, like these LEDs is like you know jumping in a space shuttle to mm -hmm. go train. Like too complicated. But and there have been various systems where they where they set that up for people. Right. So that's that's basically what happens when you throw a little body English into it. Um, is that if you let's say if let's say you could you are perfectly like you're literally some sort of a cyborg or you're you're you literally could add just enough body English doing like a bicep curl, Perfect. Um, so that so that you are activating the, the biceps maximally during the entire bicep curl, um, but adding. But nobody does. What's that? Nobody ever does. No, no everyone no uses. That. That's why I, I actually that's, say I say that I don't think cheat reps has any place in muscle building because maybe for someone like yourself or myself, we could we could intellectualize how to make that useful. But ninety nine percent of the people I've met, there's no benefit for me. Can I'll tell you why? Right, right. Because we're using everything other than our biceps to finish the rep, right? So we're we're, we're initiating the rep and we're getting momentum, and then the, the weight effectively floats, and maybe we catch it at the top, maybe we catch it at the bottom, and we get that decelerative force that we have to slow down. Mm -hmm. But as far as like actually muscular benefit, my suggestion, and let's talk this out, is um, just decrease the size of the rep, right? Like so, keep the exact form. So the range of motion. Yeah. So yeah. if I go from you know a twelve rep, twelve inch range to a nine inch range to a six inch range to a three inch range to a two inch range, so you're keeping tension in the right place. Uh -huh. So now the size of the rep just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So you're keeping tension in the right muscle. That's a great thing to do. That's that's yeah. how I, I talk about extending sets. People. So rather than cheat reps, which which by set by necessity requires me to use other muscles to get it up, well now instead of doing that, I'm just going to go further and further further into the set with smaller ranges of motion right. with the same muscle. Right. That's what I would, would suggest. What do you think about this idea? Because this, is, I mean, the, the, the idea of a of a cheat rep, if you could, cheat is like it's kind of like a cheat meal. Like, mm -hmm. is, are we talking a refeed? Are we talking right. a cheat meal? <laughs> like, it's a full right. out like Semantic. if it's really cheat, it's like well then you're then you're not actually doing you're cheating yourself. Like mm -hmm. if it's a really a cheat meal, it's like I'm just having pizza and ice cream. It's not. That's really what we're going after yet. this, aren't we? Yeah, going yeah. for some donuts. Um, but right, yeah. Why not? You know, we haven't eaten for a while. Right. Why need the food? We'll be all right. um, but. What if you had like a really good training partner and you like you do perfect reps? That's exactly. And then right. you do four reps. He gives you and you just to keep the weight going. Well, kind of like we did today, yeah. like on the on the hacks. Or yeah. What, so that's the ideal dream, I think. And, right. and as you know as well as I do, great training partner is like a unicorn. They wanna, right. It's like a unicorn, yes. man. Like yeah. I, I've trained with guys for three years before they were competent to spot like properly, right? right. So to and, and my objective is like. 
I want you to perfectly match what I'm capable of doing yeah, to keep. Don't torture me, <laughs> right? And I, and I say yeah. the tempo is is the target, right? Mm -hmm. Like match this tempo. If we keep this tempo the same, and I teach all my coaches here that, and to become great a great spotter is, is a skill. Yes, yeah, it's a skill. Yeah, because you have to feel, or you have to be so present. You have to feel like how much are they doing, and how much do I just need to keep it moving at that same tempo? Right. But that's you're absolutely right with that. Yeah. And, and they've done, and, and the literature isn't perfectly clear here, but if you look at studies where they've compared like concentric and eccentric only training, there's an advantage to eccentric only. And what happens there, this is like a meta-analysis. Can you reduced, define advantage? Um, greater muscle growth. Yep. Yeah. Is um, you can use an isokinetic device, for instance, like, mm -hmm. which is sort of like the perfect training partner because mm -hmm. it only allows you to move uh, at a certain speed, mm -hmm. an angular velocity. So... Like you set it at, you're going to do a 90, so you can do 90 degree knee extension, you set it up to do nine degrees per second or 45 degrees per second. So it's, it's two seconds up and then it's two seconds down. No matter how hard you push, it's, gonna, it's stronger than any human being mm -hmm. alive. So it's all out every single part of the repetition. Those are brutal. Have you ever trained on one one of those before? Like a I have, but, but what I've noticed is uh, I don't think the technology is quite there yet. I think there's always kind of a part of the range where you lose tension and then you kind of lose that focus because, like, you know, I don't know. Unless I, I haven't trained on all of them, yeah. But there's certain ones that I've tried and I was like, yeah, it's okay. But like, but you do this in a gym or like, like the kinetic stuff? Usually in a lab somewhere, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, literally, I mean, what you said. That's why I didn't. That's why I asked. Is like it's. It's not going to lose any tension unless you're unable to activate because it's... Well, so when it changes direction, I found that there was like a kind of a lag. Oh, yeah, that, that could be. I mean, I've, the one I used was a Kincom. We had one of those in the lab that I've like spent a lot of... Me and the Kincom were very close. I used, <laughs> literally, I yeah. used it for my dissertation. Yeah. And I'll tell you, but there's some interesting research there, too, that, that led to why how I did my dissertation. Um, but that is basically kind of like the perfect spotter in a way. Like, every rep is all out. Like, right. People talk about, like, what's well, only those last few reps that are... Those are the ones that matter. No. Well, the other ones do, do matter, but... Like with a, with a Kim, yeah, with a Kincom or like with an Ice Connect device, you can you can push as hard as you want, and it will just let you move at a certain speed. That's all there is to it. And yeah, the transition could be an issue. It is a bit it is a bit strange. I think they they probably put that in intentionally so you don't have like some abrupt right because the thing if it if it kind of jerked you back, muscle yeah, 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 you could have an issue like a reflexive tear or something like that. But um, one of the things that we that we did we we used. For my dissertation, I'm not trying to get off topic here, but we was studying creatine, and people gain weight when they take creatine. So we wanted to get a good effect size in terms of muscle growth. We wanted to also avoid that placebo effect, so that in the, especially in the way that it interacts with training. So we used e-stim to train them on an isokinetic device. So literally, and we used a stim unit that would produce a lot of force. So they, we, we just trained one leg, so we had an internal control as well. It's kind of a cool. So, so by the end of the by the end of the the eight weeks, like a lot of the guys were bringing in long pants because they would get such a good pump and they're getting so much growth in the one leg that we trained that they were kind of embarrassed by it right. because they, they're getting lopsided, and which was kind of what we expected. Right. Um, but we would turn on the e stem. And the e-stem overrides the normal inhibition that happens on eccentrics. So literally, average person is about 20% stronger than, um, than isometric when they're doing maximal eccentrics, right. roughly. But mu the muscle is more like 40% stronger in and of itself.
The difference is a matter of neural inhibition. Hmm. The nervous system just says, ah, yeah, this is a little dangerous. We're sure. not going to allow that to happen. So we would, we would set people up, and I'd turn on the stem. Usually you'd get like progressively uh, overloaded here, but it's like 70 to 80% of an MVC with e-stem only. Yep. So that's a lot of juice. Yep. Um, most people can handle it, but it's a, it's a lot of juice. The muscle would look very like uh, distorted when sure. you do that. And when we turn it on, I think it was a second up and a second down. You actually produce a lot more fatigue that way. It's a very uncoordinated So no necessary manual contraction? No just, voluntary contractions okay. at all. Just like buckle in, strap down, hold on, and then the E-stem's going to take your leg for a ride. And we were producing forces above what they could do voluntarily on those eccentrics. And we didn't make a comparison in, in our study, but the pilot work, it was a published study, produced about twice the rate of muscle growth with the E-stem than involuntary um, because you were overriding all that neural inhibition. No getting, injuries? No, no, no injuries. I had no injuries in mind. I, Why don't we have yeah. one of these? Well, you can only do it for, you, you could. You can only, that's the thing is it's best for like a single joint thing. Like Right, biceps, uh, triceps. I, I was going to tell you a story. Come on, man, like, you're holding out of here. Yeah, no, you don't remind me of the story because it's perfectly related to that. We talked about like when you were doing the knee extensions, yeah. you kind of like letting yourself sort of float up like that. Mm -hmm. My advisor, Gary Dudley, uh, rest in peace, he, he was like, he played around with STEM all the time. And one of the things we did just to go on the road was we, we built like a, an isometric testing device, uh, like isometric knee extensions, which just basically lock people in with a tensiometer so you can make fatigue measurements and force measurements. Just throw it in the back of a truck. We actually drove it from Georgia to Michigan to do a study. Like it was kind of a crazy road trip. But he said he had one of those that he built and like he's like, it's late at night, he's trying to work something out and he had the stem set way up on both legs. And he said once he like he's like he wasn't thinking he turned it on and it literally launched him up out of the chair <laughs> like literally threw him. He forward. didn't strap in. Yeah, he, like, well, he, yeah, he hadn't strapped himself in, right. but his legs were strapped right. in. And then he had to like he, like yank thank the thing out of the wall. Another guy I knew was doing e stem. He was trying to he was trying to train his his delts that way, and um, he just used a little too much juice. You get close to the motor point where the nerve density is pretty high, and you can produce a lot more force than if you're off that. And sometimes the skin will, will move over the, over the muscle, depending on movement around the joint. So he hadn't really taken that into account and he had turned the juice on and he had some dumbbells trying to do like side laterals with sort of e-stim to make things grow. And literally he went up like this and then the, the, the electrodes went over the motor point and he got stuck with both <laughs> arms. He had to drop the dumbbells and like Max like, you know, crab himself down so he could turn off the e-stim. He said literally he almost dislocated his joint, his shoulder joint, wow. both of them because the stem was so strong. So it's, a, it's an uncoordinated contraction that doesn't involve like all the accessory muscles, like the, the rotator right. cuff isn't, like, isn't activated normally when you hit the delts that way. So, you know, you could, like we had one guy, like this was not in my study, we had one guy, we were doing a, this is a little off, we're getting off topic here, we were just trying to see what would happen if you activated just the lateralis with e-stem and then had people do voluntary contractions and see if the nervous system would figure out where the fatigue was and activate things normally otherwise. So we're using MRI. And so we activated just the lateralis and we subluxed his kneecap. Like it literally just <laughs> flopped over the side. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you, you can't do that kind of stuff really very safely. Right. But, but the Russians have done some of that. Um, they've added, they've superimposed e-stem. And you, you've got an e-stem device you've played around with here a little bit. Yep. You just, I don't know how much juice you can actually get. The, the kind of juice we were using was like enough. You could turn that thing up and produce more force than a person could voluntarily. 
and you got to be you got to be somewhat controlled and, and safe with that. So that's why they I think the FDA limits. You know, I had to get like special special license to have that. You have to be a physical therapist, or right. yeah, you can't just like walk into the Ace Hardware store and buy one of those. Right. So there's there's yeah. two things I want to kind of yes. come back to here. You, yes, you brought up Ronnie Coleman and saying like yes, Ronnie yes, Ronnie yes. using these kind of uh, right. accelerated reps, and I think. There's certainly something to be learned from the greatest bodybuilder of all time, but I also think that there's a consideration around mechanics that we're not looking at, right? Yeah. Like, he just fits into every exercise perfectly, right? You watch him squat, it looks like it's it's perfect. You watch him deadlift, it's perfect. And not everyone has those mechanics. Not everyone has right. those muscle bellies. So there's a lot of considerations. But yes. I just kind of want to touch on that because I, I think I get that I get that conversation a lot. Why could you shut up and lift, man? Like, we were, like Ronnie <laughs> no, Coleman. No. Like, I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, but you're not him, right? You're not, yeah. Yeah, and like, he's... Not he's, able to do that. I totally agree. Dude, he's the most blessed human being that has ever walked the earth, potentially, yeah. right? Like. Yeah. Yeah, you have yes. There's something to be learned there, but also you have to be kind of a little bit weary with like, hey, this is what Ronnie did. But yeah, you know, Ronnie, man. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about was um, exercise selection. So, absolutely. There, there's not. Uh, you kind of said self-select. Like, what do you want to do? Like, what feels good to you? Um, but I'd like to dig a little deeper there. Like, how do you guide your clients? Yeah. Because I think that's a big thing in, in exercise right. in, in building muscle, right? Yes. Yes. Gosh. So. God, that's a gigantic topic. So um, history is huge. And ask just a little, I'll ask them, why Why do you use the exercises you use? It's like everyone says you got to squat, like for instance. So how, how, how's that working out for you, mm -hmm. literally? Um, where do I you get, get back pain, I get knee pain, right, okay, shoulder so that, pain. Right, exactly, that's <laughs> yeah. not working out very well. Right. You, can, you can look at muscle soreness. If they have an, an idea of where like literally they're feeling feeling the exercise while it's happening having online is different difficult than different than having someone there in person we can watch them you can you can see people who are made to squat you can tell if they're made to squat mm -hmm. like like ronnie like you said you like that was the thing like watching him do his exercises and, and I, dave henry i've coached and trained with like so yeah. many times like you could just see like he could just he just knew like intuitively how to make those he does anything for his back and he goes bang yeah yeah, yeah. um or is i'm the opposite <laughs> right, right, exactly, yeah. Um, and so that, so where you feel it, whether you get a pump there, that, that also points to whether the muscle's going to grow. A lot of times muscles that grow really easily in someone get a good pump, and those that don't, they just don't want to activate for whatever reason. So is the pump in your experience with data actually that correlated with growth, or is it just the subjectivity of, hey, because we know we contracted this thing? It's a little both. Yeah. It's a little both. Obviously, like, if you, if you don't, if you don't, Train it, you won't get a pump. You don't exercise it. But I found, and you tell me what you found, but I found with many people, their their best muscle groups, the one that they literally could not train and they wouldn't really matter. When they do train them, they get this tremendous pump in those. Some of that is maybe yeah. because they don't train them very much, and and they naturally have a tendency to activate them really really well because neurologically they're set up for that biomechanically they're set up for that and they're also relatively untrained mm -hmm. those muscles haven't totally. trained so they get a pump really right, easily low threshold for growth exactly yeah because yeah, they, they just don't have very good muscle endurance so mm -hmm. they're and maybe they have a lot of fast switch fibers in them which are going to produce more lactic acid they're more glycolytic in nature so all those things seem to sort of fit together um, and that's actually a great thing if you have a muscle that you can't get to get a pump pump in, chances are you're going to have to look outside the box. You have to find something. Well, this different. is where I guide people to like go do it five days a week, like increase the frequency massively, right? Mm -hmm. And because I think the skill is a big component. Because if you don't feel something really well, right, chances are the skill is not there. Chances are that muscle yeah. doesn't neurologically recruit really well. So right. that's my belief. Now, is there anything that 
you would want to talk about that substantiates that or disproves that. So, you know, this idea of improving the neurological connection to that muscle, the idea of improving the, the motor patterns, the motor engrams to the, with this muscle, provided they're done correctly, leads down the path of, well, in two years from now, so in the next six months, you may not pull a bunch of muscle, but you're laying the foundation for future growth. Yeah, perfect practice, though. That's the important Completely, thing. Completely, right? which is, yeah, which is what yes. I kind of try to focus on. Right, yeah. right. So, yeah, you could have someone going in and, like, they're doing they're doing the same crappy training five Both. days a week. And, and building just, worse patterns, worse exactly, habits. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So um, I think asking them what exercise they've been doing and which ones some people just know this is a great exercise for me mm -hmm. i can i can i can move a lot of weight i feel it in the muscle um I, it lends itself well to progressive overload for me i just seem to be able to get stronger on that and i feel it where i'm supposed to feel it not in my knees not in my low pack not i don't get shoulder joint issues if i'm trying to do this pressing exercise what have you so like literally a lot of it's just common sense type of stuff mm -hmm. and then if you can watch them of course and see, okay, um, that does not look like, you're, you're a delt presser, I can just see it in the way you're pressing. Um, and the, you, you, that's why your chest is so weak. I, and you're, you look at your triceps, look at your physique, it's gonna tell you to some degree and watch how they do that. Some of that's just sort of like, that's kind of the artistry of bodybuilding and watching right. someone, it's kind of hard. You have to go through each muscle group, which I think maybe you do with some of your Well, camps. yeah, and giving people and, these very simple, like, look for this. If you have this, you're not gonna be good at that exercise, right? right. Or if you're in this posture, you, you're gonna need to fix that before you're gonna be good at this exercise. Right. Like giving people kind of some gateways. It's like, if you can do this, then you can do that exercise. Yeah. All right, ladies and gents, I want to interrupt this podcast with Dr. Stevenson to bring you a special message from me and Danny Vega. So if you guys are at all interested in ketogenic dieting, Danny Vega and I have teamed up to produce Keto Muscle Intelligence. So we wrote an amazing program uh, that Danny and I have both beta tested ourselves, and Danny put an insane amount of muscle on. I wasn't exactly trying to build muscle, but I did. I think I put about 20 pounds of muscle on during this 12-week period that we went through. Um, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash keto right now and pick up the free guide, which is the five biggest mistakes people are making on a ketogenic muscle building diet. Um, Danny's obviously got an incredible wealth of knowledge, and I know a little bit about muscle building and just a little bit about ketogenic dieting, and we'd love to help you uh, build muscle and optimize your ketogenic state for you. And now back to the show with Dr. Scott Stevenson. Um, one of the things, uh, maybe this is what you mean by gateway, is um, find an isolation exercise that they feel in the muscle group that they're certain of. Have them do that first and then go to the, whatever the other exercises they've been doing. And th that, I think, creates some biofeedback to them. Sure. Um, it's not what I mean by gateway. What I mean is okay. it's like a, a postural predisposition. So if you're thoracically oh. flex, you're not building your chest. If you're thoracically right. flex, you're not building your lats, right? Like. Are you are you you know, neutral in your spine, or can you get into thoracic extension? Can you get into thoracic rotation? Are you, are you you know protracted and upwardly rotated at your scapula? Like that's the kind of stuff that I would say. Like if you can't pull your shoulders back and down, likelihood of building your chest is right, right. zero. Right. And to build, pull your shoulders back and down, you have to be able to extend your thoracic spine. So can you do those things first? Right. Well, until you can do that, I'll get two people a week that come into the gym and they go, hey man, I need a good exercise for chest. And I, you know what I point them to? A back exercise. <laughs> yeah. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you can, yeah, because yeah, no chest exercise will ever work for you until you fix this, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so same thing with people trying to build their legs. And if I watch them squat or watch them hack squat and they have no pelvic stability, where are you pointing them, right? Like I'm not pointing, I'm not gonna go, go squat more, do it more often. No, man, you gotta learn how to create spinal stability or pelvic stability first. Right. Like that's what I mean kind of by a gateway. Like mm -hmm. until you can do this, you don't do that. 
right? That's what that's how I choose exercise selection. Right. It's like what can you do really, really well right now, like you said, that fits your body and feels good. And then the next step to that is, well, what can we do in the meantime that will give you access to all of those other exercises that could potentially be really good exercises for you? Because I don't like the idea of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? right? So, you know, you can't do a bench press now that you don't feel it in your chest. Does that mean you can't or does that mean you're just not doing it right? Right. right? That's the way I view it. Because most, yeah. can, most people can, right? They're just not yeah. doing it right. We just have yeah. to find that manipulation for them. Yeah. And the thing that I think, are you, do you, when you look at people, do you look at their posture just before, like you can obviously size people up if they're like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that tells you a lot. Posture and mobility, right? Mm -hmm. So even if they, they, they pose well or they show well, they present well, like you look like you have got great posture. Mm. But when we go into that exercise, what happens? Yeah. You that's know, the thing. Like, Put them do, under stress, see what happens. It's like yeah. a stress test. Yeah. Yeah. Your heart looks great. You got great blood pressure when you're at, you know, at rest and everything's at hunky door. We get you on a stress test. Like, right. oh God, you got ST segment depression. Yeah. You know, everything's falling apart when we're putting you under load. Yeah, you've got a weak link here in your low back. Mm -hmm. It wants to flex forward. You're right. not able to do squats yeah. and all these other exercises. The quads will never be the thing that fatigue. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, so that um, yeah, that absolutely has to happen. The other thing I think, too, is that that's related to postures. If you say, well, look, you're, how many, like, if you add up the minutes you're actually spending lifting, it's not very much. Right. Like, even if you're doing a high-volume program, like, literally, your time, let's say you take one, you're doing 20 sets, and they're each a minute long. It's 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's a third of an hour. That's one seventy-fifth of your day. Literally, yep. like, like that's not very much. That's mm -hmm. like maybe one and a half percent of your day. The rest of the time, you're like lying in bed. You're lying on the couch. You're watching TV. You're like, you've got this horrible posture. And I, I think like this, it equates to so much. But connective tissue is a very, very slow turnover rate. Um, and uh, you know, like, like people starting to use like an example of this is like the squeams. You know, yeah. which, which will work over time. Um, it's sort of the opposite of what happens when women become pregnant and they get abdominal distension, they can't get, seem to get their abs back. Well, that connective has been stretched for so long. Or you've got a food baby, you've got a guy who's been, who's been like pounding food for years and years and years, and then gets distended. Well, same thing happens with if you spend your, most of your day like sitting like this, or your low back, all the right. muscles, all, all the, the muscle spindles, the connective tissue, the epimecium, the fascia around the muscle, it's all setting up self to have uh, setting itself up to have a resting length where you probably don't want it to be. So you're you're literally fighting against the other 73% or other, you know, 98.5% of the day where you're in bad posture alignment right. trying to fix it all at once in the gym. It's not going not going to happen. So mm -hmm. Flexibility has to be there, and then I think some some mindfulness. Literally, like one thing like that relates to this is, so you you teach someone to squat down with a certain type of technique in the gym to build their legs, but then every time they pick things up and they're cleaning things around the house, they 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 bend over in a totally different way. They they don't practice that at all. Right. They're almost you can almost be undoing that neurologically. I think. So that has to ha that has to come into play as well, I think. Mm -hmm. so. As far as just finishing up with exercise selection, yeah. like, is there any focus around you know, compound or free weight, or you know, do you spend most of your time on machines, or is it just a matter of like, hey, pick exercises that fit you right now? Well, I've got I use the daily undulating periodization. Yep. So that's a little of both. It depends on the person. Some of those, like the cluster sets, those don't lend themselves well to free weights because yeah. you got to start and stop. You just don't want to be like having to re-rack a dumbbell so many times because you're gonna you can hurt yourself pretty easily. Mm -hmm. um, machines vary so much. Some of them have horrible loading curves. Some of them have great. That's why I wanted to use those stride machines because mm -hmm. I like those. The loading curves are great, so those are awesome. Friction is huge. 
um, it plays a big role. Like you get on a, I will just like, I won't even think about using a machine that's got a lot of friction in it because it loads more on the concentric when you're weaker and it unloads on the eccentric when you're stronger. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of what you want. Yep. So like that's not a, that's, that's a no-go for me mm -hmm. as far as that goes. But then free weights, of course, don't run into that issue. But if you can't use those properly, if it doesn't fit you, um, if the loading curve just doesn't match, you're not able to do the things we just talked about, then that's not going to work as well. So a lot of it depends on the person and um, which part of the, which, I think you're going to get different advantages from each. So like, pick the best of free weight motions for you. Like rack days work great for my back. Sometimes some people just, they don't, they get nothing from them. John Meadows was someone, deadlifts just don't work well for him. Heavy deadlifts. And you were strong as hell on deadlifts. I don't know how well that worked for your back. Didn't do anything for my back until yeah. I learned how to do them for my back. Yeah. Like now I can turn it into a back exercise, right? right? So looking at how do you manipulate the mechanics of this? Exactly. To, to kind of advantage the lat. Yeah. So yeah. you have to figure out how to use those. Like even like you guys were, I went up the biceps exercise I did at the end. It was a preacher curl, but I, I stand on the other side of the machine and do like yep. kind of a drag curl with it. Yep. Feel much better. So I'm big on... Some people don't say don't do this. You know, it probably you know causes liability issues for some gyms because I'm using things in ways that they weren't intended to. But right. you know, use the machines in a way that matches your mechanics, your activation, and literally just like what what you're trying to do with the machine. Some machines are horrible. Some machines are great. So pick the best is the way I sort of sort of look at it. All right, man. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I have to ask this question because okay. it, it's it's important. And yeah. you know, specific, uh, oh, yeah. speaking about your book, book, I mean, the book. Yeah, there's a book. Um, this book. Yeah. Be your own bodybuilding coach. Yeah. And I think it's a gift to the industry, man. So yeah. thank you. Oh, Spend, I know how much time you put into that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Forty. Or a little less. Yeah. Close. Right. Um, one, I'd love to hear, tell you talk about the book, and then I want you to, to at least give the audience a teaser around the question I asked you previous to us starting was like this transition phase from an off-season to a contest diet is everyone screws that up, you know, and I want to, I believe they screwed up, and I want to hear what your approach is. So mm. tell about the book, what it is, uh, and the next time I have you back, I'm going to commit you to that now. Uh, we'll talk about the whole book, the whole process, okay. and, and Peak Week, because I think okay. Peak Week is a massive one. But for now, yeah, yeah. tell me what the book is and uh, where people can get it, and then let's talk about that transition week from, like, because you just recently did. You went from the off-season to, like, you did a seven-week cut, you said. Right. What that look like? So Yeah. Um, so there's a subtle, like, at first I didn't mention this, but I've, I've mentioned a few times. There's sort of a subtle um, reference in the name of the book Oops. to... Um, be your own Buddha, basically be your own bodybuilding coach. It's, yeah. it's the idea that, I mean, literally, and one of my favorite philosophers, Alan Watts, said this, like, every time you pick an expert, you pick a coach, someone to guide you, you're actually the person making the decision. Like, you, you could be just handing off all of the decision-making pro decision process to that person, but you're still doing that. And I think that happens to such a degree now with so many people, literally, like it's it's become sort of the general mindset that like you can't coach yourself. Like literally, you can't do this alone. Like like you have to. There's actually a, a pride that a lot of people have, and there's nothing wrong with this. This is this actually shows a sort of strength of will to say, I'm a robot. I'm a soldier. Just I'll do whatever you say, coach. You say you know jump. I'll ask you how high, and you'll do it. And I think you miss out on a lot of the intrinsic value that comes from being a student of your own life, yep. like literally. Of like and I know so many bodybuilders 
who don't know anything. And I'm like, why don't you know anything? Well, I just follow what my coach tells me. And I don't want to yeah. give examples, but like, I'll give you some more stuff as to give you some examples, not people, but things that I've heard. And I'm yeah. like, they literally don't know anything. And I was yeah. like, this is, they don't know what to do in the gym. They don't know how to pick exercise. They don't know how to pick food. Like it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It, it just, it just seems like, um, it doesn't, I, I just can't really wrap my, my head around like the mindlessness. Yeah. It, it is a mindlessness. Yeah. And, and, um, it, it, it creates, I think you're just missing out on, on something that on, on an exploration that can really be a beautiful, right. a fascinating one. And Climbing the mountain with your eyes closed. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I use the, in this, in this RNT fitness podcast, we just finished, we went into this, we called it the mountain of analogy. We kept on talking about climbing the mountain. It's, it's an analogy I yeah. use in there yeah. and it's one that they use quite a bit. And it's, it's like the idea is that, you know, the book is kind of like, kind of like your Sherpa in a way, you know, you're climbing the mountain yeah. and you're still doing the climbing. It's, it's like, if you get to the top of Mount Everest or what have you, and you've done that under yourself and someone's helped you along the way that this, this book is supposed to be kind of a map, a guide, a Sherpa to get you there, but you've done the climbing. Right. And and then you go up to the top, and, and like some billionaire has been flown up there on a helicopter and plopped next to you, and he's like, "That was great." It's like, you have no idea what you missed. Right. Like you're gonna you're gonna have some nice Polaroids, and you'll you'll have a great Instagram picture here, but yeah. you won't have all the evolution, all the things that can be uh, unraveled and, and brought forth um, to give you new perspective on your life are lost if you just hand it over to someone like that. And, um, Completely. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm like I'm. I'm talking to the, well, the choir here. Yeah, man. I did a lot of my own preps, and it was really hard. Sometimes I honestly wish I had something like that at some point, because like you question yourself so much, and that's yeah. that's the biggest challenge for most people. It was a bigger challenge for me. It was like the subjectivity of how do I look? Am I fat? Am I skinny? Mm -hmm. am, I, am I full? Am I flat? Do I need to carb up? Do I, like, and it's always this. I hope you address that. And if you don't, that'd be a cool thing to address. Is like. Oh, yeah. Like, what do you, what do I do? Do I just set a plan for a week, set a plan for four weeks and make sure I stick to it no matter what? Or is it like a day to day? Cause for me, I believe my knowledge base was such that it needed to be almost a day to day manipulation of like, Hey, I did way more volume today. So therefore I'm going to make this minor adjustment or I did way less volume today. And therefore I'm going to make this minor adjustment. Mm -hmm. And then, then at some points it became this over analytical mess where you're like, Oh, I don't know what to do today. So there, that's a hard thing to do, man. Yeah, it, it is. And it, like personal growth comes from some stress. Absolutely. You know, yeah. there's like, it's the challenge is what, what makes you better in the long run. And you're, it's like, I mean, I use the example of the taking the helicopter to the top of Mount Everest, but it's sort of like, you know, doing a marathon where you're being pushed in a wheelchair. Like you didn't do the running, someone just right. brought you there. Um, so everything that comes from that, that is, is, is lost under you. So this book, is basically the idea, like to give you some support. I mean, I've got, I've got everything in there from like I've got a, actually I've got a personal bodybuilding inventory that people can use to check in on their goals as they go from different parts of the year, from off season to pre contest, and like especially the pre contest to post contest. That's huge. A lot of coaches just leave people high and dry. <laughs> totally, and that's that, that was one of my questions happened. for today. Yeah, but, that's yeah. A, like I actually start the book off with the post contest period. Like that's the first major chapter. And I got some other major topics that are covered in there, but, um, and also like ways to monitor yourself. Um, 
with, uh, like for instance, I use skin, do skin folds and body weight, sure. of course, strength in the gym. Like, how do you know which way you're going? You're looking at HRV, blood pressure, anything like that? Yeah, sleep? I, have, yeah. I have, yep, I have an HRV. Like, this, it's been about a year since I published. There's some more HRV stuff coming out, but mm -hmm. I've got a big chapter on HRV, for instance, heart rate variability. Um, I cover, I got a frequently asked question, everything from intermittent fasting to, like there's a whole, like how to train as an older guy, what's in Scott's gym bag? Like there's a whole bunch of things. It's, it's 400 plus pages. Yeah. So I got a, I covered pretty much everything I could think of, basically. It's a total brain dump. But the idea is that it's, it is a map. You're not just like, and this is the thing that I think with, especially with the way um, the marketplace is now, is like there's so many coaches and there's an intention. It's part of how they're bringing you in as clients to keep you in the dark, to not tell you these things, to not educate you. Right. Like that's how you, they keep you as clients. I hope it's not that insidious. I know that's a reality that people don't tell you a lot, but yeah. I like, I always give people the benefit of the doubt, right? Like, yes. I hope that you're not a terrible person trying to right. manipulate people. Like <laughs> right. I, if people ask me, like I do, I go out of my way to give them explanations, right? Yeah, so hopefully right. most coaches aren't there, aren't, you know, manipulating people. Yes, I mean, some may be, and some, some have taken on so many people, they, they literally are developing a, co a coaching style where they, 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 can't they can't answer those questions. But yeah, that's different. Yeah. Um, and, then there, and then there's just, I think this is what's sort of happened over time. Before there was the internet, there wasn't access to all this information. Literally, you'd, like, you'd go to the guy who competed in your gym and you'd ask him questions. If he was nice enough, he'd help you out, or the woman or what have you, and you'd talk amongst yourselves. And you were on your own. Yeah. Um, and when you got through that, like you made it through, and like you dropped the ball, you screwed up. Let, let's say like worst case scenario, like you, you go and you, um, you know, you tried a peak week strategy and it, and it didn't work and you look much better three days out than you did on stage. And it's like, you went through that and it's like, oh my gosh, like this is the worst thing ever. Then you realize, no, it's actually just a bodybuilding show, mm -hmm. you know? And I dropped the ball and I know what to do. Yep. And you gain perspective on things that you would not have gained if you had, for instance, a coach that you could blame, or like you, you had- I talk about that area. all the time, about yeah. the, the, why the bodybuilders of 70s, 80s, and early 90s were better than today. Mm. That, yeah. like they were their own coaches. How did right. they learn how to build their chest? They didn't have YouTube, they didn't have Instagram. Yeah. They went and did it, and they right. watched, and they actually used their brain, and they thought, that didn't really feel really good, yeah. but this one does. Or they'd watch, they'd wear string tank tops and short shorts, and they'd look, and they'd go, oh, that didn't really feel like it contracted. Yeah. Required presence and mindfulness rather mm -hmm. than Instagram you know, selfies. Right. I think it's a big difference maker, man. Yeah. Like everyone talks about all these other variables, but I think it's just like they actually use their brain. Yeah, there's, a, there's an interesting thing I've seen in I mean, it's the thing, I always try to step back and with some empathy and think, you know, how would I be if I were born 20 years later? Oh, I mean, completely. I have a probably different person. So sure, I'm sure. trying to take the things that I think are good about having been born when I was and, and sort of reinfuse them and make those things available. Without dependence, look. though. That's all yes, I'm trying to advocate is like, just don't become dependent on something. Like, use your own unique thought process, right? Use right. it as a guide, like your book. Right. Like, that's an amazing guide. Yeah. But I don't need to use it as, as the zealotry, right? I don't need to be myopically focused on this is the only way to do oh, it. Oh, no. Like, right. It's like, hey, this is what Scott says. I'm going to try to see if this works. And if it doesn't work, let's try a little bit different. Right. right. This is just the like you say the Sherpa. A sample, yeah. A sample yeah. from my. If someone picks gets one good thing that they they like and they pitch the rest out, that's great. Then they figure that out, and then my 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 um my purpose has been served. Right. But the thing I was I was going to say is that a lot of times I, I see this because there's there's such a, there's just wealth information on the internet that doesn't involve going in and like figuring it out for yourself. 
people will be like, so what exercise should I do for this? Or what, like what exercise, what muscle group does that hit? And it's like, like, this is like, you can't tell this is a, they, they, they're, they're, they're filtering their ways of knowing through the internet and through a coach that just tells them who it is. Mm -hmm. And then the idea of actually just going in and just doing things the way, you know, humans did them for eons of just like through common sense and actually living the experience is being missed. And this is an idea that you can, you can actually live the whole experience from start to beginning and, and, and experience tremendous personal growth. Those, those times when you're like, you're shitting bricks because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get destroyed or like my brain's so foggy or what have you. I, I don't want anyone to be so stressed out like that they get in a car wreck or they lose their job or their relationship goes to shit. If they need to hand over the reins to a coach, because literally it's, it's, it's gotten their life is so bad and so stressed. Right. Well, definitely that makes sense. But, but don't do that as like your default when you could actually handle it and grow from it and become better and then like become so much more knowledgeable. And I think almost everyone can think of a time in their life, be like a personal, some personal hurdle that they went through when they got on the other side, they're like, you know what? I learned so much from that. And I'm, and I'm, I don't want to do that again, Right. but I'm glad that I went through that experience was the growth Man, experience. I'll say me. an interesting thing I learned. I was just in, in California last week with Paul Check, who, you know, you, Paul. Yeah, I love, I was, I've been listening to that podcast. Oh man. So I one thing Paul. he said to me that gave me so much amazing perspective. He said, some things in life are meant to, are, are put there to make you more present. Mm -hmm. And I was like, interesting. And, and I'll give you the example that he gave me. And this just comes up with the contest prep. Like if you can learn to be present and be mindful and actually think about all these things that go in, mm -hmm. you can become a better person just becoming by becoming more mindful. And, and he said that in reference to rattlesnakes and scorpions. We were out lifting rocks and he goes, hey, mm -hmm. he's telling me a story. He's like, we were lifting rocks. And he goes, the other day I was down here lifting and I, and I pushed, I put my hand down to pick up a rock and I touched skin. And I, I was like, oh. And he's like, yeah, I quickly jumped up and there was a rattlesnake having a little nap there under the rock. Yeah. I was like, oh, he's like, and I'm so grateful for him making me more mindful, making me more present. And I was yeah. like, that's a, such an interesting perspective, yeah. right? Like rather than people freaking out and going, ah, oh, I don't want these things around. Like, no, say thank you. You just right. made me, now I have to pay attention to what I'm doing yeah. rather than just mindlessly meandering through life. And mm -hmm. that's what that is, right? It's like, hey man, as contest, for contest prep, you can use it as an opportunity to become more mindless and follow somebody else. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Or you can you can use the opportunity, certain opportunities to like just become more aware, become more present, mm -hmm. learn your body, learn what works for you, learn how to think, learn how to face those challenges yourself. Mm -hmm. There's so much beauty in that. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that um, a lot of people have experienced that's very related to that is, is you start to diet down and you get really, really hungry and you get so self-focused and you start to realize that... Wow, I am really self-absorbed. This is a total first world issue I'm having here. I've chosen not to eat food right. and I'm like so grumpy and there are people all around the world who are going through so many worse things. How lucky do I have it now? Right. And it's really only the pressure of having gone through a pre-contest diet that made you uncomfortable in that way so that you could step back out of your circumstances and say, Life is really pretty. Even if I don't get any carbs for the next two years, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> yes. This is not bad. You're like, yeah. oh my gosh, I have to wait till Friday before I get my carb up. Oh boy, oh, right. it's really rough, you know. <laughs> and like, yeah, totally, so, so that that's a common one. And there's all sorts of more nuanced um, insights that you can get. Um, by trying to figure some of this stuff out on your own. If, yeah, if you actually become present enough to think about it. Yes. 
yeah. rather than yeah and that's the thing i say to people is take that take on that i get to attitude rather than i have to because that perspective yeah. of like someone's uh, you know fall sam harris but he goes mm. you know at any point in life there's at least one billion people on this planet that wouldn't if the, you know the drop of a hat change places with you like you yes. know no questions on asked and, and all of their dreams would be fulfilled yes. and you're like oh Yes, that's yeah. so true, right? Yeah. Like at least a billion people would like, and, and, and more for people at our level, right? It's right. like, it's incredible to think that, yeah. we, and we could still find things to complain about. People yeah. need perspective. I um, I mean, that's just one one thing that at one time not too long ago when it occurred to me that probably some of these bodybuilding experiences colored the way I perceived this was I've got, um, I've got a camper van that I travel around with, with my dogs, which is just awesome. I get to take my dogs in a van you know, and we park down by the river every now and again if I want to. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. But we it's great. I get to travel with my dogs. That's my little family. It's wonderful. And it it's an older van, and it, it breaks down. And it broke down, I think, like three times in, like, a span of six weeks. And some people will be like, oh, you know, they've been kicking the, like, going bonkers. And, like, I think the third time it broke down, it literally broke down in the gas station. And I'm like... This is awesome. Right. Like, I couldn't have picked a better place. Yeah, exactly. I was really literally like happy about having it because it wasn't stuck on the road. Um, if I needed to, I could literally could have taken the dogs into the gas. I was in the shade. I was in the sh like, under the yeah. under the thing. I was literally getting gas, and I tried to pull in. I wouldn't go. So there's water and there's food. It's like I couldn't have picked a better place for the van to broke down. I was really kind of excited about right. it. And a lot of people have been like, oh, my God, my van broke down. They're pissed. And it was expensive, and I was there for hours. But... I really was able to reflect back on that particular experience in a way that, like, I was kind of happy, you know? And I would, that wouldn't have happened, I don't think, if I hadn't had a lot of the lessons that bodybuilding have, has taught me over the years. Yeah, and it's and, bodybuilding for both of us, I think, is climbing the proverbial mountain, right? It's like yeah. you know, taking one step in front of the other and seeing how far you can progress. And when you get to those steep parts of the mountain, you still know you're going to make it through yeah. and enjoying, this, enjoying right. the view along the way. And, and the thing, too, even beyond that is that it's our choice to climb that mountain. Like, like it's cool you get to climb a mountain, but some people have lives that have forced them to do those sorts of physical, physically difficult things that they didn't want to do. We get to do that just to enjoy the actual challenge of bodybuilding. It's like a, cha a self-imposed challenge that we get to use to evoke greater fortitude, self-reliance, those insights. Like, what a beautiful thing it is that we can actually bring that upon ourselves. And step out anytime we want. Like, you're too hungry, like, well, I can just go get donuts. I'm good to go if I want to. But some people don't have a choice. Some people, like, they have to climb the mountain because, I mean, because their people have been, there's some dictators taking over the country and they're trying to just flee borders to, to live. Right. Like, that's, that's rough. We've got it really, really good. So it's only when you sort of see, like, it's like you're being in a, it's almost like a bodybuilding is sort of a simulation struggle that gives you a little bit, and I don't even want to say like, I have any idea what it'd be like to live through some of those things because no. my life has been absolutely blessed. Yeah. You know, if you think about the numbers, like the, the way that I live is just like absolute top of the food chain, especially historically speaking, it's yeah. just amazing. But you get a little bit of insight and it's just a really wonderful thing to be able to have that perspective. So that's what I think, why a book like this, I think if, if it even, it's gotten a lot of people to be able to sort of, um, there's a guy doing the British finals actually right now. He's been using my book and my training system. He's like, literally, I think he's competing. Um, we'll be tomorrow because I think they do this on Sundays. But, um, and like, I hear back from people all the time. It's so rewarding 
because they say the things that I was hoping people would say. They picked up the book, they figured it out on their own, they just love the process, and they've gotten a reward from it. So it's been it's been really rewarding to be able to help people out there. Awesome, man. And, and and don't want to take any more of your time, but we have to answer that question. People are going to get pissed. At, but just give me the three biggest mistakes people make transitioning from off-season into contest prep. Oh, three biggest ones. Um, going straight into like a hardcore pre-contest diet when you don't need to have that amount of caloric deficit like you don't you can just a lot of people if they've been eating like really really big in the off season they can just drop back and stop force feeding that would do it 10 or 20 percent yeah yeah um the second big one a lot of people do i can't blame i can't say this is a mistake necessarily but i think sometimes it can backfire is they're like okay i'm starting my diet so i'm going to spend the next week eating as much junk as i possibly can they set themselves back. Like you can put on 10 more pounds? A month, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then probably the third one was not, it would not giving themselves enough time, you know, like, like not giving themselves enough time. Because you can literally like, you can diet for three or four weeks and have a week off. Or you can have some sort of an intermittent diet cycling pattern where, you, where you're not continuously in a deficit every single day. Um, and... So if you're going to need maybe 12 true weeks of dieting, start your diet 16 weeks out, and then you can have some weeks off where you meet maintenance, you have a normal life to some degree, you get a psychological release. So starting early enough is probably the probably the third big one. That's huge, man. I yeah. know there's a lot of research on that now, doing yeah. kind of like the five-day eat-what-do-you-want, kind of like self-regulated. I know that may be a little bit subjective, but <laughs> right. uh, just to, to let your body kind of reset, let your hormones yeah. kick back up. And I think there's that probably ties into what you say doing post-contest as well, but we won't get into that, but yeah. we'll definitely get you back on here for another one. And where can people pick up your book and find more from you, man? Um, BYOBBcoach, beyourownbodybuildingcoach.com, or just fortitudetraining.net. DrScottStevens.com, they all go to the same place. Wonderful. Yeah. Man, true pleasure and yeah, a true, uh, true genius when it comes to... <laughs> but seriously, you're, yeah. you're, you're, I don't even like the term guru. People don't like the term guru, but uh, I hope your recognition and acknowledgement for this continues to grow because you deserve it. Thanks, brother. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that is a wrap, ladies and gents. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Dr. Scott Stevenson today. Hopefully you enjoyed the Muscle Building Deep Dive. And as always, I want to spend a moment thanking you for your ear and for your time uh, listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. You guys know this is an absolute passion project of mine. Um, thank you for your reviews. Thank you for your feedback. I appreciate every single message I get, every single share we get on Instagram and Twitter, um, every review we get on iTunes. Thank you. You know that subscriptions and reviews drive the podcast. They allow us to get a better ranking on iTunes, um, which obviously allows us to get better guests, better sponsors, and allows us to grow this podcast and share this message of intelligent muscle building around the world, which has been my mission since 2011 when the business started. Uh, to empower you with the knowledge and skill set to live your greatest life in a body that you love has become a mission that's ingrained in my heart and my soul. And I truly uh, am grateful to be a small part of your journey. Uh, Thank you very much for tuning in. Have an amazing day. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.